four-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Luscious Rocky Reynolds. Yo, this is Rod Wallace, Jay Davis. Listen to stories in pro wrestling on the Russellville Podcast. Just incredible. This is ECW Original, the enforcer, C.W. Anderson. This is former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Tim Storm. I'm Vinny Berry, and for more than 20 years, I've covered news and sports. Specializing in pro boxing, MMA, and wrestling. This is the juicy one, Daniel Ramon. This is the fire starter, Jay Chris. To listen, go to WrestleVille.com or on Spotify. This is Steve Wilson, the man behind the Monster Congo Kong, and you are listening to the WrestleVille Podcast. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. What's going on? It's the Urban Playboy Pretty Boy Smooth. And you're now tuned in to the Russellville Podcast. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and my guest today is PB Smooth, professional wrestler from Western Pennsylvania of six years in the business. How you doing, PB? Pretty boy smooth here, baby. What's going on? Feeling real good. Hey man, we are really glad that you're here. Thank you very much. I've been watching you. You are fun to watch and you're a big dude. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that a lot. When I was a kid, I was, when I was watching pro wrestling, I gravitated toward the big guys. I just found them um, fascinating uh, because of their size. And also too, I guess I wanted to see who they were going to beat up and if anyone was going to beat them up you know yeah we, we we're missing those stories nowadays in wrestling you know i i appreciate hearing that we were definitely appreciated hopefully we can bring that back around yeah and you know when you're in the ring with a good sized guy i recently saw you with bill collier right yeah but you know he doesn't he doesn't do your size justice because he's a big guy too. But when you're in the ring with an average size guy or you you know uh measure yourself up to the referee, wow. I mean, you're you're six foot nine, right? About 275, 280. What, what tell me? I'm about six nine, two seventy-two. All okay. legit. <laughs> wow. And so that's a that's a big size guy. You know, when I was uh, talking to to Bill, I did a story with Bill a couple years ago, and he was telling me uh, when he was training, he trained for about six months, and then he got a new trainer, and basically that trainer kind of stripped him down to everything that that he had already learned, right? And 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 he and Bill t- told me that he was taught how how to Russell as a big guy, you know, as a as a big wrestler. Tell me, what is the difference of, you know, a guy your size and and maybe a guy my size? What what are the things that you're going to learn that that you could do that that I can't and vice versa? Well, I guess the best way to explain it is to break down what wrestling is in and of itself. It, it's storytelling. Um the clash of styles is what makes matches compelling and and suspend belief and get you like really involved in it so it's like when dudes look at me they want to see me maul somebody they want to see me toss bodies they want to see me hit hard and drop dudes and whatnot so my wrestling style is very like 
it coincides with that. So learning like your pacing, um, the way that I train in the weight room, like the, the, the way I throw strikes, like the way I move, like I tailor it all to fit what a larger than life six, nine dude would do, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, essentially my essence of like my wrestling character was me in college, <laughs> you know, I was like a ladies man, but like, I also grew up in New York. Like I live in Erie, Pennsylvania now, but I grew up in New York and during a, a really tough time where, uh, I had to learn how to fight in certain situations. So like, it's essentially me dialed up, if that makes sense. When I first started training, uh, Aaron Draven out of Erie, Pennsylvania trained me. He did a terrific job. Um, I went on to train with Johnny Gargano, uh, Pepper Parks. Um, but the thing was, I was never necessarily trained by like a big guy wrestler. So I kind of had to learn on the fly whenever I got a chance to. So whenever I got to work with a Bill Collier or a John Davis or somebody of that nature, like I'll pick their brains and study how they move and stuff like that. So it kind of took a while to get to that point, but just watching and learning and seeing that it's okay to be who I am, as opposed to feel like I need to do all the flips and dives and stuff, which is cool, but I don't want to take away from the people that do that. Like, that's not my thing. Like people aren't paying to see me do that. So, you know, just focus on what I do the best at. Right, right. And where you're at in in Western Pennsylvania, I guess you you do the the eastern coast of the United States, pretty much the northeast side, right? Is that where you spend some wrestling time? A lot of my shows are Midwest, like towards like the Ohio area. Okay. Um, I picked up some shows here and there. Like I've been working a lot for Invictus Wrestling in New Jersey which is cool because again, I'm from New York. So I get to see like my family in Long Island after I do a show there or something like that. Um, I did a stint with Beyond. I was out that way for uh, their tag team tournament. I'm trying to get into a few more places out East. So we'll see what the future holds, but yeah, mainly like Midwest, Ohio, Indiana, those kind of areas. And what is the, the competition as far as big guys go? I mean, are there several other people that you can step in the ring with that, that match up to you? Well, if I'm being honest with you, not many people are going to match up with me. Like, I don't know any, I don't really run into many six foot nine dudes in wrestling that are filled out. There are some smaller stocky guys that have a lot of, a lot of power and strength with them. So we get to do a lot of good stuff, but I tower over pretty much almost everybody at Russell. <laughs> so recently I I watched the match that you were in an intergender match with Sawyer Wreck, who is yeah. uh, known for her deathmatch style of wrestling. Yeah. If, if the listeners that are listening to this right now have not seen that match, I thought the storytelling was spot on man i i did well I, it, it was very genuine you know um i make it very clear that i don't do deathmatch style wrestling it wouldn't make sense to be calling myself a pretty boy and be getting my tattoos all cut up and stuff like that so once she tried to play dirty i just exited you know <laughs> i ain't got time for all that right i'm gonna have to ask you was was that did 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 you know that she was going to do that? Pull out the light tubes like that? <laughs> I'll tell you what. She didn't know I was going to get out the ring the way I did. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. And 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 you know what? I I just thought, wow. I I wasn't very long. It wasn't a very long match, but man, it said a lot. And I and I respected it. And I thought it was I thought it was good. And I and you know what? If you're into storytelling and you and you can appreciate that side, I mean, because that's that's what it is, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean that that's kind of what I always loved about wrestling. Right. That's why I got into it. And if you're not into like storytelling, it's almost like okay, that's fine. But you also can be watching MMA or like amateur wrestling or boxing. You know what I'm saying? Like. Right. Like whenever like there was like a fight going on after school, like the buildup to the fight is what got everyone interested into it. The actual fight didn't last that long anyway. And I mean, when it comes to me, I like to have different matches on the card. So like when you see a pretty boy smooth match, it's not going to match what everybody else is doing. Like you're not going to see me do like a bunch of different sequences with like ending with like super kicks and stuff. And it's all cool. You know, like there are a lot of people that do stuff like that effectively. I just believe in doing what I can to the best of my ability. And like being like a, a big six foot nine dude that wrestles like a monster, you're not going to see that. There's not anyone else that can do it like me. So I might as well just stick with that. And I feel like the crowd will appreciate that more. Right. I remember a match. Now this is going back with Eddie Gilbert. Are you familiar with Eddie Gilbert? I am not. Okay, well, I enjoyed the heck out of his matches. And I'll, I'll remember one, he was with um, Jerry Lawler. And he would distract the referee, and then he would go into the corner, and he'd, like, put his hand in his pants like he was pulling something out of, you know, like he had something hidden in his trunks. Yeah. Well, the crowd on that side went crazy, right? Yeah. Because they, they can see exactly what he's doing. Of course, when he went to the other side and he got those people heated up too, he might not have had anything in there at all. But he was he was reeling them in, right? And, yeah. And and there's, I mean, th that is the psychological uh, element that, that people talk about all the time. And sometimes when you say, well, the psychology of wrestling and people are like, huh, what are you talking about? that's what we're talking about right well yeah i feel like the problem is a lot of us myself included at times we play more to the twitter and the the internet crowd and wanting to get the cool gifts and whatnot as opposed to doing things how they should be done and taking care of like the live audience like the people that are there paying to see you that are going to buy your merch that you want them to come back like the next show you know like i've had conversations with promoters where like like super cards are great. Like if, if you have somebody that's a core wrestling fan that knows this person from here and this person from here, and they're like, oh, this is going to be a fire match. That's cool. But when you're talking about the local fans in the area that are coming to this because they just want to see some cool wrestling or somebody told them, hey, I'm going to this event. Do you want to come? And they don't know the full backstory of everything because not all the fans are on social media like that. So it's like, when it comes to those people, those are the ones that you need to have your psychology. You need to tell a story. You need to introduce them and show them what professional wrestling really is. 
because that's how you get more fans and bring more people into it. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a gentleman down here. Uh, his name is uh, Denny Ramones and I've got to see him about three times this past year. Guy on the local scene, been wrestling on the Gulf coast for probably 15 years or so. Hilarious man. And I mean, and he, and he knows how to do it. Comes out there, blows kisses to grandma, bends in front of her. She slaps him on the ass. You know, it, it's just funny stuff, you know. And uh, he he engages with the crowd. And I think sometimes when we're watching wrestling, um, sometimes I really do think that the crowd is forgotten, you know. Yeah, that's very true. It happens a lot. And I try not to do that. And... The thing is, because of my size, people are going to look at me. So I I use that as an opportunity to be interactive with the crowd. Like when I when I make my entrance, like I find a girl in the crowd to put my chapstick on me. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I try to do different things to get them involved because, again, like they paid their good hard-earned money to be here, to watch the entirety of this show, the entirety of this match, to be in like this venue that may or may not have AC and, and heat, you know what I mean? As opposed to somebody that's only going to see a gift for like 30 seconds of the match. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to cheat like the paying customer. Right, right. Yeah. You mentioned Johnny Gargano. I'm really glad to see the things that he's been doing on television the last few years. Amazing wrestler. Maybe maybe not the biggest guy, right? And and that that could probably be a bit of his shortfall. But, you know, as far as in-ring work, I, I, I tell you, I'd put him up against anybody. What was your personal experience with him? Yeah, and I'll say this. I don't think his size would hinder him at all you know because at the end of the day if you can draw the emotion from the crowd and get them invested in you and like saying the things that you're saying that's really what matters you know it's almost like when Steph Curry wasn't projected to be like an NBA like the best shooter ever you know what I mean it was great to work with him and uh Candice LeRae because they got me out of my comfort zone they uh got me to try different things that some of them I don't use in matches and whatnot, but just giving me like a bigger fundamental base and knowledge of professional wrestling and what I can and can't do with my body helps me tailor to what I want to do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be overprepared, even though you don't have to use every single thing. But um, yeah, like working with them, like I said, got me out of my comfort zone. I would travel twice a week to uh, Cleveland, Ohio to train. Um, and it led to me getting booked at Absolute Intense Wrestling, which is probably one of the bigger places I work on, like a consistent basis. And um, a lot of great opportunities have came from there. Like I've got to work with uh, Eddie Kingston. Um, I was tag team champions with Hornswoggle, um, Matt Justice. Like, like there's a lot of different names that came out of me training at AIW with Johnny and then getting to work at AIW. What was Hornswoggle like? Because he's definitely a character. I've listened to him a time or two. Of course, I've seen him in action many times. And and there's a there's a bit of a contrast between the two of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say this: he working with him taught me to not like take myself too seriously and kind of enjoy wrestling and not be afraid to again get out my comfort zone because 
when I came in, it was like, you're so big, you have to be a monster. You have to be like stone face. Like you can't show certain emotions. You know what I mean? So like being in a tag team that had a comedic like aspect of it allowed me to be myself and translate that into what I'm doing now. So like with the character I have now, there are times that I've come out to like R&B music and, and you know what I'm saying? Doing different things that you wouldn't necessarily see from like a six, nine dude, but in all reality, there's duality to everybody. You know, like I grew up with guys that had all the girls and did all the stuff, but if you tried to fight them, they would beat your ass. Like, it's like a, like you still, like it gives me like a trigger where like, I know I can switch and be the monster when I need to, if that makes sense. Right. So, yeah. And then also too, pretty boy, I wanted to, um, I kind of heard this in, in what, when you were uh, telling that last story is, is that there's got to be an evolution to the character too, right? You, you don't want to, you don't want to stay in this same mold, which is I'm sure easy to do, right? Hey, this is my, this is who I am and this is my character and this is how I do things. And I do the chapstick, but you know, uh, there's gotta be some evolution, right? Yeah. But, but that's the thing, like in all honesty, unless I'm like studying, I don't necessarily watch too much wrestling when it comes to me thinking of what I want to do and stuff, because I don't want to be a carbon copy of another guy, you know, like I want to create my own lane and do things my own way. And when you're a trailblazer, you're going to get pushback. You know, like I've had a lot of people that tell me, Oh, PB smooth's a stupid name. But if you look at it now, that name is when you Google it, I come up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I've had people tell me, Oh, this won't work. That won't work. But when I let go of all the, the noise and just do what I want to do, I'm enjoying myself and people see that and like they, they buy into it, you know? So like, I kind of, I take my brand very seriously and I do everything off like the inner self, if that makes sense at this right. point. You know, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you uh, went to college and got a degree in communications and, you know, veteran wrestlers will always uh, tell the younger guy, you know, have a plan B, right? Have have a backup plan. Did did you did you think that? In you know, did you think, hey, this is my backup plan, or did you go to college and then you thought, you know what, I really want to be a wrestler? No, not at all. I never really had backup plans for anything. So, to to put it in better perspective, I have two degrees actually. My undergrad is communication, and my master's is organizational leadership. So I went to college, I had like my major, this, that, and the third, but like I was obviously there to play basketball, you know, like that, that is what got me my full scholarship there. So I, it was already set in stone that if I'm going here, I'm graduating. Like, like I wanted to be like the first person in my immediate family to like handle all that stuff, you know, like, cause my parents made certain sacrifices for me to get here. You know what I mean? So that was that. Pretty much, I had a fifth year of eligibility, and I was going to go play overseas, but the girl I was dating at the time, um, she was like a year younger than me, and she was still in school, so I kind of went back for her, in a sense, and uh, (laughs) 
it was not, it obviously didn't work the way that you kind of wanted those situations to work without getting into too much detail. But um, pretty much I took a job as like a grad assistant at the school for like the rec center, just because it paid my tuition. And around this time, I started watching wrestling again. Like when I was younger, I watched it a lot with my grandma and stuff like that. But when I started playing basketball, it kind of like phased out. So I was working with a girl who was friends with a girl that was dating a local wrestler. So that was my first introduction to the independence. Like they brought me to some shows. I got to see Matt Hardy live. Um, and then eventually I asked the guy, John McChesney, like, hey, what do you think about me becoming a ref? And he's like, no, you're way too big. You need to like try out. <laughs> so pretty much as I'm getting my master's degree, like, Right after I like got my degree, I pretty much went in the training essentially, and just stayed in Erie instead of going back to New York. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. What were the early days of your? You know, you go through training. What were your early days of your matches like? You know, being six years in, you know, what was that first year like for you? Oh. <laughs> It was definitely a learning curve. You know, I was I was always in shape. That wasn't the issue. Um, it was more so learning the, the entertainment aspect of wrestling as opposed to, like, pretending to be a wrestler, if that makes sense. You know, like, learning what comes natural to me or what I can do as opposed to what I think a wrestler would do in this situation. You know, it was, like, almost... I guess a form of imposter syndrome, but at the same time, I'm, I'm still new in the game, figuring it out and then learning. My biggest problem I'd say was I took advice from almost everybody to the point that I lost track of how I wanted to present myself and what would work for somebody like me. So it was just a matter of weeding out through the advice and seeing what worked and what didn't. And it took a little bit longer than expected, but we're here now. <laughs> Right, right. You know, and yeah. recently you were recognized by Pro Wrestling Illustrated in their top 500. And, you know, I got to read you in there. At what? How do you think that when you receive accolades such as that, how does it, you know, how does it boost your career? Does it maybe open some more doors for you? Yes and no. It depends on how you play it. So for me personally, I like to keep a stoic mindset where I don't allow my emotions to get too high or too low because then like you can break on anxiety or depression or, you know, get too big for your bridges. So for me, I think any press is good press because as wrestlers, we want to get our name out there. You know, we want more people to see us, whether you agree with where they rank you at or not, you can play it to your advantage, if that makes sense. So for me, it's just another thing to add to like a business card if I'm handing it out or like social media content or, you know what I'm saying? Or if I'm wrestling somebody that got ranked higher than me, I can like play off that. Like you can, it's all depends on how you use it, if that makes sense. Right, right. And, and you know, I've seen in wrestling too, you know, where, you know, like I'll have this conversation with my wife all the time. She's not a wrestling fan, but since... She's married to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she gets to hear quite a bit, right? Yeah. But, I'll, but you know, she'll ask me, well, is he, is, is this person a popular wrestler? Is that a big star? And I say, yeah, right now their stock is high, right? 
you know, yeah. where where you see like Mandy Mandy Rose right now, the, her her stock is probably high. Sasha Banks, her stock is high, right? No, I get it. I mean, stuff like the PWI can help with stock again, depending on how you market it and how you play it. Um, but it's one of those things where at the end of the day, it's still subjective, you know? So I, I personally believe that everyone that is in the entertainment industry that works really hard and has like a gift, they're going to find their tribe of people as long as they focus on that. And if you focus on that, it's just going to gradually grow and expand as opposed to worrying about, Oh, well, this person's stock is higher than mine. And you know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. like, I know for me, like my race is going to be a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know, cause I don't have like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm really solid with like character creation, like promos, content, the stuff I'm doing outside with like movies and scholarship and stuff. So I feel like it's something that's going to be like a slow build to where I want to go. Whereas some people hit the lotto and they get it quicker. And, and a lot of them deserve that. You know what I mean? But I feel like if everyone just focuses on what they got to do and just keep doing that, they're going to end up where they need to be at some point. Pretty boy, we got just a few more minutes left. So please, before we leave, tell us about your, your scholarship. And, and tell us how that works and, and why did you start it? Sure. So the PB Provides Scholarship is a scholarship I started at uh, Mercyhurst University, where I graduated from. Pretty much it's awarding financial assistance to a Black student that's pursuing a degree in communication. I feel like communication is a very underappreciated major. Because like when I was coming up, I got made fun of for saying I wanted to do stuff like that. But when you look at today's times, the literacy rate, people being able to report and journal, find credible research, like find credible sources outside of a Twitter person with a blue check mark, like all that stuff is out the window. So, you know, I want to help like get people in positions to do things like better in that aspect. And I also want to help diversify the school and get more black students there because there wasn't that many of us aside from just athletes. So this is for like a non-athlete student. So I've been fortunate enough to award it to um, two different students so far. We're still working on a third. And um, it taught me a lot about like how the world works. You know, there's a lot of fake activism out there and people saying that, oh, this person should do this or this person should do that. But what are... What is what are they doing? What action are they taking? You know what I'm saying? So for me, I went out of my way and just used like tax refund money or raise my own money to start the scholarship. And then um, unfortunately, when it's weird, it's like I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise, but pretty much what happened was when George Floyd passed away, there was a lot of people that were looking for things to donate to to help like the black community. And when they found out about my scholarship, like a lot of money started pouring in. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the scholarship was around before that happened. You get what I'm saying? Right. So my whole thing with doing it isn't to like put myself over, but it's more to like tell people, like, if you really want to make a change, you can take action yourself. Like you don't have to just tweet about it or wait for somebody else to do it and critique what they're doing. You know, like I feel like there's not enough action in the world, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I, I agree with you 100%. So, 
Yeah, man, that's that's great. And I'm glad you're doing that. Go ahead and tell us uh, how can fans find you on social media? Uh, it's pretty easy to find me. Um, if you go to prettyboysmove.com, I have all my social media links on there. Um, my Wikipedia page is on there. My merch is on there. My last, my latest vignette is on there. Like all my stuff is out there. If you look me up on just Twitter, Instagram, the name is Pretty Boy Smooth, but the O's are zeros because Pretty Boy Smooth was taken. <laughs> but yeah, just hit up prettyboysmooth.com. You can find all my stuff on there. It's the easiest way to find me, get in contact with me and say, what's up? Hopefully I'll see you at a show. Um, I frequently post promos and content of the places I'll be. So you won't have to worry about finding that. All right. Well, hey, man, it has been a real pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad we did. Sorry yeah. about the time zone issue. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's okay. All right, man. Well, we'll be in touch and I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, The, the Pro, Pro Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, Anderson the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Carrie Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville, it's where wrestling lives.